Good morning again. Today, as you can see, we're going to talk about rest. Rest. What a beautiful word. I'm in a stage of life now where I don't see a lot of that word, and my wife sees even less of it. Physical rest can often be difficult to find, and a lot of times feel drained and exhausted. And in many ways, that's a good thing, because God created us with limitations on our body. We eventually have to rest. We cannot keep going all the time. It's a good thing to take a break. It's a good thing to take time to recharge our bodies. But the Bible speaks of another type of rest that we need. Rest in the Bible is more than going on a cruise. It's more than sneaking a nap on a Sunday afternoon. Our passage today will tell us about God's rest. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. It will tell us about a true rest that is available for us to enter into. We'll find out that God's rest, this rest that we can find and discover, it's based on faith in him. It's based on a relationship with him. And we'll also see it as something truly wonderful that we should strive for and seek to enter. So if you're not already there, please turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. I mean, verses 1 through 11. You could also look at the screen. And once you're there, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and then follow along as I read our passage for today. Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 1. The author says, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, and here he quotes the Old Testament, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his, God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. He quotes again. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, he says through David, so long afterwards, in words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let's pray. God, thank you for this rest that you offer. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that we can learn from your word, that we can see that your rest is based on faith. 
that's based on a relationship with you. With and may that knowledge of what your rest is lead us to strive to enter that rest. Teach us, God, that we can't do it on our own, but we need your Son, his work, on our behalf. So God, I pray that we would see him clearly. May he increase and may we decrease so that we may discover his rest, that we may enter into your rest, God. Guide us in our time in your word this morning. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let's review for a minute where we are. We're going through the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews is a letter. It's from an unknown preacher, but he's writing to Hebrew background believers. These are people who used to follow Judaism, but now they've become Christians, followers of Christ. But there's a problem. Things are really difficult for these people, and many of them are tempted to go back to their old way of faith, to go back to practicing Judaism and leave the Christian faith. And our author has a message for them. He's telling them Jesus is better. Jesus is better than going back. And that's our focus this series about how anything we compare to Jesus, we find he is better. And we've talked a lot about the emotion that comes in with better. When you compare two things, you say one is better, you see where your heart and passion lies. Many of you remember, if you were here last week, that my sister was home on a little uh, short, week-long furlough. She's serving as a missionary in Africa. And when she came home to the United States, one thing she really wanted to get was a Slurpee. Like a, just a gas station Slurpee. Uh, I mean, that's Slurpee or slushy. That, that's what she wanted. She wanted slushy, Slurpee. That's, that's really what she wanted to have. And she told me that in the place where she is in Africa, they have slushies there. But the problem for her is that the slushies are made with real fruit. And she just doesn't like that taste. Because to her, the artificial sugar in Americans' slushies is much better than the real fruit taste where she is there. In the same way, we're talking today how Jesus and the rest he offers us is better than any break or vacation that we could find somewhere else. Our passage today, Hebrews 4, is going to build on last week's message where it was a warning against having a fake faith. The author here is unpacking a passage from the Old Testament. Remember, this letter is really a sermon. It would have been preached in one setting. So like I do on a Sunday morning, I read a passage and I talk about it. The author has read a passage, Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, and now he's talking about that passage. He puts those words from Psalms in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. So let me read again the quote that he's preaching on. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me, this is God talking, put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So the author's preaching on this passage. Last week, he looked at this example of Old Testament Israel, and he focused on that danger of fake faith, looking like we're a part of God's people, but failing to persevere, being in reality a slave to unbelief. 
Whereas a faithful response to God's word would lead us to search our hearts, to encourage others, and to hold firm in faith. And now in chapter 4, he's continuing that. Our chapter and verse numbers weren't there in the original. He's still going. He's talking about this more. He's saying faith is important because God's rest is based on faith. This rest God is talking about is based on our faith in him. You're using the outline, your first blank, it's faith. Let me read one through three in our chapter again. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, the people he's talking to, just as to them, the Old Testament Israelites. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he, as God says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. God has promised that we can enter his rest. This promise still stands, but it's only there if we have faith in Jesus Christ. His rest is more than a physical piece of land. No, it's knowing him. Without this rest, we're spiritually stranded. But with his rest, we can find true peace. I was reading another pastor talking about this, F.B. Meyer. He said, we're not summoned to a heavenly slumber which follows overtaxing toil, but we're summoned to the rest which is possible amid swift activity and strenuous work. We're summoned to a contented heart to the peace that passes all understanding, to the repose, the rest of our will in the will of God, to the calm of the depths of nature, the depths of the ocean, which are undisturbed by hurricanes that seep and sweep over the surface, the calm of the water under the storm. That's the type of rest God gives us. And our author is very concerned that these people he's writing to, these people who claim to be Christians, that they hold to their faith, that they enter God's rest. He says he has a fear. He says, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's not like a a shaking, being scared type of fear, but it's a holy awe for God. It's realizing that God is in control and he knows the people who belong to him. And friends, if I could be honest, that's part of why... I was passionate to, to preach through this book because that's a fear that burdens me as well. I look around this room and I, I know almost every single person here. I consider you to be my church family. And I fear, I'm afraid of someday discovering that someone here had fake faith because that would, that would break my heart. And I don't want to find that out. So that's why we're talking about this. We're looking at God's word. We're seeing that his rest is something to strive for. We must be careful that we do not fall short, that we fail to reach eternity with God. Our faith in Jesus is a continual thing. It's not a once and done thing. It's not a box to check. It's a relationship that we live in. As he says in verse 2, good news has come to us. Good news came to the ancient Israelites. And good news came to Christians. God's word has been proclaimed. It's been preached. It's been taught. But the author points out that 
some of those Israelites, even though they heard that good news, they died in the wilderness. They failed to reach the promised land. And his warning is that we could see the same thing, those who do not continue in the faith. If we don't have faith in Christ, we can go to church. Well, you could even be accepted as a member of a church, but still fall short. The good news of Christ does not benefit us if we do not respond appropriately. We get no benefit from being connected to a church if we do not have faith in Christ. My version says it did not benefit them. It is no value, no profit. It's no good to hear about Christ. We do not respond in faith. It's like if there was something you really needed to purchase, maybe a, a new shirt or outfit for work that you really needed, or a new pair of shoes for school, and you got something in the mail, a news thing about a sale going on at a store, that you could get that, that outfit, those shoes you, you needed, and you could get it much cheaper than you were thinking about if you go to that store. But if you don't actually go there and get it, then that sale is of no benefit to you. You may have heard about it, but you didn't respond to it. In the same way, scholar George Guthrie says, hearing God's word is not enough. It must be combined with faith. It's not enough to hear about Jesus in church. It must make a difference in your life. Pastor Charles Spurgeon said, many are content with the shells of religion, where it is the kernel only which can feed the soul. If we bend our knees in prayers, that, that's nothing. It's the prostrate heart, our heart bowed before God, that is everything. The uplifted eyes looking up in, in praise, that, that's nothing. It's the glance of the soul toward God that is acceptable. The hearing of good words, the repeating of them in prayer or in song will amount to very little. If the heart is absent, the whole thing will be dead as stone. We must be born again. A change must happen in us. We talked last week about those Israelites. Moses helped lead them out of Egypt, but they ended up in a wilderness. And we discovered that many of them heard about the good news of the promised land. Many of them wanted to be there. But many of them did not respond in faith. Looking just at the men, we saw that it was only two out of 600,000 of the men who made it to the promised land. So we must beware of unbelief in our own hearts. Paul writes in the book of Romans, he is not ashamed of the gospel. He says it is the power of God for salvation, but only to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel has God's power, but it is only seen by those who believe, who respond in faith. That's why we should listen to God, so we can share in, that we can be united by faith in Christ. Faith in Jesus creates this wonderful group you're experiencing right now, a church made up of all these different people united by our faith and our trust in Him. Together we know God. Together we enter His rest. And so the author summarizes this in verse 3. He says, we who have believed enter that rest. Believing the good news is necessary to find our way into God's rest. 
The author then reminds them of Psalm 95. He says, as he, as God said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, on the surface, that sounds like the opposite thing. Pastor, he just said we entered rest, and then he quotes a verse that says you shall not enter. But he's using some logic here. He's saying, he's asking us to put on our thinking caps. He's saying if these Israelites who did not believe in God, God says they shall not enter my rest, that means if we do believe in God, then we will be able to enter it. Those who live by faith do enter God's rest. As the Protestant reformer John Calvin said, unbelief alone shuts us out, then faith alone opens an entrance. Or, D.A. Carson put it, if you want to enter his rest, you have to do it his way. Eternity with Christ can be ours if we trust, if we believe, if we have faith in what he has done for us. If we trust in who Christ is, that he is God's son, that he was born as a human and lived here for us, that he died to pay the penalty our sin deserved, and that now he's been raised to new life to give us life. It's that type of trust that brings us into God's true rest. Now, the Bible talks about physical rest. It talks about the benefit of being able to uh, recharge and being able to, to rest and get energy for the next day. It talks about that, but it's tied to that trust in God and what he does for us. Look at Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. The psalmist says, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. And why can he do that? For you alone, O Lord make me dwell in safety. This psalmist is trusting in God, and so he is able to rest. For those of us who are believers in Christ, we can have even physical rest now because we're trusting in God that he is in control. But let me ask you, have you entered God's rest? Do you believe in him? Will you enter his rest? Or will you be like those that scholar Charles Hodge talked about? He said, they believe there is a heaven, and they believe that it is a happy place. They desire to be saved, but they are afraid to trust God. They do not believe that God will save them, and therefore, they are not saved. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. I, I know there's some who say there is no God and they live in that, but I, I think a lot of people think there's something, but they don't think it has anything to do with them. Don't be the one who thinks, yeah, I'm sure there's a God and, and there's a heaven there. No, figure that out now. You need faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Come to faith in him. Because that faith teaches us that God's rest is based on a relationship with him. God's rest is not only based on faith, but it's based on a relationship with him. That's what a large part of this passage is about. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of debate about this passage. He talks a lot about rest. What type of rest is he talking about? Is he talking about something that happens now or something that happens in the future? And I think the easiest way for us to think through that is with this three-word phrase that is so helpful for understanding a lot of truths in Scripture. Already not yet. Already not yet. There's some promises, blessings of God that we have already, and there's some that we don't have yet. 
that still wait to come. And God's rest is something that true Christians can already have and experience, but it's also something that we've not yet experienced in its fullness. So let's start looking at that already side. How can we have rest even now? Well, we can because God's rest is based on a relationship with Him, a relationship with God. Verses 3 and 4 talk about how rest in the Bible is connected to what God did when He created the world. The author will even quote from the book of Genesis about this. Look at the second half of verse 3 and verse 4. It said, although His, although God's works were finished from the foundation of the world, for He has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all His works. And so, God gave his people a commandment to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. And that's based on the fact that on the seventh day of creation, God rested from his work. It's based on, it even tells us the reason why he gives it. When he gives the Ten Commandments, this is in the book of Exodus, it gives us a reason why they should remember the Sabbath day. He says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, if we think about it though, this may give us some questions in our mind. God resting. What does that look like? How does God, our creator, rest? Is there a big lazy boy up in heaven and on every Sunday he just kicks the footrest up and and takes a day off? No, I don't think it's that. Uh, Does God go to the beach? On vacation, does he have a beach house? Is he more a Jersey Beach guy, or does he prefer the Outer Banks? No, 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 that can't be it either. It's not that God takes a break. When he talks about God resting, he's stopping doing one thing, and he's starting doing something else. If God stopped all activity, Scripture tells us he holds the universe together. Everything around us would fall apart. So it's not that he stops doing everything, but he stopped his work of creation. And he started doing his work of maintaining the universe that he made. You can even look in the book of Genesis. I'm not going to read it all now, but it talks about these days of creation. There was on the first day God did something, and it says, and then there was morning and evening the first day, morning and evening the second day, morning and evening the third day, fourth, fifth, sixth, but the seventh day. It never tells us about that morning and evening. God is still resting from his work of creation. His work is completed. He's moved on now. He's sustaining the universe that he made. He's caring for his people. He has rested from creation, and he invites us to enter that rest. Verses 5 and 6 in our passage say, and again in this passage that he's quoting, they shall not enter my rest. Well, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, Those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. If God is at rest, now there's two options. Our options are either one, we live by faith, we enter God's rest. Or options two, we live in disobedience and we do not enter his rest. I think it's a little clearer in the New Living Translation. I like how they put verse six. They say God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So back in our passage in verse 7, the author quotes from Psalm 95 again to highlight how urgent this is. 
In verse 7, he says, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's saying if King David, who lived a long time after creation, a long time after the people came in the wilderness, if he says today is the day, then today is the day for us too. Today is the day for through faith we can enter God's rest. We must respond today as soon as possible. Verse 8 tells us how. It says, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. This is how we enter his rest. When the Old Testament talks about what God's people were heading toward, their promised land, it is talking about a physical place. But that doesn't mean that we have to figure out how we can get to Israel if we want to be in God's promised land. The author's saying it's more than that. We don't have to go to a particular place to be right with God. Unlike our people we know who may practice Islam, they have to go to a particular place as part of their faith. But that's not true for us. Our author is saying the rest of the Old Testament, it could not have just been the promised land. He explains it by pointing to Joshua. If you're unfamiliar with the story, God's people were in slavery in Egypt. Moses helped lead them out of Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land. But Moses and many of the people died in the wilderness. So his successor, Joshua, led the Hebrew people into the land God promised them. But then David wrote about it hundreds of years later, and he wrote that, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's hundreds of years later, and he's still saying they can enter the promised land. Our author is saying the point is God's rest was not fulfilled when his people were in the promised land. There was another promise. There was another fulfillment. There was another place where they had to be to get rest. And he says that God's rest is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's in faith in Christ that we enter God's rest. Not in a particular place, but in faith and trust in Him. There's even a hint in the name. The Old Testament Hebrew name Joshua is the same name as Jesus. It's Hebrew. It's well, are we translated Joshua, but from Greek we translated Jesus. But it's the same name. God's people needed another Joshua, another Yeshua, another Jesus to bring them into the promised land. They needed Jesus Christ. Jesus says this about himself. In the book of Matthew, chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest beyond a promised land. This is something the book of Hebrews will go into a lot as we go through it. In the Old Testament, there were a lot of physical things that people could look at. There was a physical promised land, an actual place you could see and touch. There were actual priests who offered sacrifices, killed animals so you could be made right with God. There was an actual temple, a place you went to to be in God's presence. There were these physical things. But our author is saying the point of all that is so people would look to God. They'd look to the spiritual realities that are found in Jesus Christ. He's telling these Hebrew believers, don't go back to those mere physical things You have the reality in Jesus Christ. Those things were meant to point to him. Don't go back to them. 
Pastor Michael Kruger wrote, the land of Canaan was not God's highest goal for his people. The promised land was not the highest goal, even in Old Testament times. His highest goal was that they would, by faith, join him in his heavenly, eternal rest. And so our author's conclusion is that there must be a rest available beyond the promised land. That's what verses 9 and 10 say. He says, so then, in conclusion, verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That promised land, that was just a picture of the true rest God offers in a relationship with him. At one time, God gave his people a physical land. This is where you find rest. And one time he told them, you should have a day free from normal work to remember my rest. But now, now he gives us a true, a special rest in a relationship with him. If we turn to him in faith, if we believe in what his son Jesus has done, then we join him in that rest. As God is resting, so can we by trusting in him. One scholar was reading, David Chapman put it this way, God's rest centered on recognizing that his work of creation was now completed. God finished creation, so we rested. Christians, we enter his rest by recognizing that Christ's work, his work of redeeming, saving us from sin, has been completed. Christ has done the work for us to save us. That is what we rest in and trust in. We kind of talked about this a few weeks ago. If you remember, way back at the beginning of chapter 1, we talked about how Jesus, after he made purification for sins, after he saved us, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And you might remember we talked about how you sit down when you finish your work. You don't sit down when you're in the middle of the task. You sit down when the work is over. It's done. The author's saying Jesus' work is done. He sat down. He rested. And that's the good news of the gospel. We don't have to search for something else. We don't need something else. There's nothing else we need in us to make us right with God. Jesus did it. We cannot work to earn our salvation. We cannot work to earn God's favor. We trust in Christ completed work it's like if you bought a brand new shirt it's new it's made and you're like you know what i need to sew an extra sleeve onto that shirt no there's no point in doing that the shirt's done just put it on wear it enjoy it we rest in trust in christ we die to an idea that i need to do something to make myself right with god we push our abilities to the side we let god's grace live through us he has rested. He invites us to rest too. That's why he gave commands in the Old Testament for the Sabbath day to remember to keep it holy. It was supposed to teach God's people to trust in him, to rest in him. And he offers that same rest to us. What, what does that look like? How do we do that? Uh, the other day I was reading a, a devotional. It was written by Dallas and Amanda Jenkins. Dallas Jenkins, he's the guy who created that TV show, The Chosen, that's talking about the life of Jesus. And in this devotional they wrote this, Jesus acknowledges our pain and struggle, 
by inviting us to bring it all to Him. To trade our burdens for His rest. Our neediness and weakness for His tender care and limitless strength. Our chaos and confusion for His peace. Our brokenness for His wholeness. Jesus invites us to trade in. Really, to trade up. That kind of reminded me of the song we were singing earlier. I'm trading my sorrows. I give that to Jesus and I rest in trust of Him. We don't need to be uncertain about the future. We can rest in Him. If we know Him, if we trust Him, then we can know nothing will separate us from Him. The book of Romans says, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is good news to rest and rejoice in. That's good news that we can even experience now. We can know a sense of this everlasting joy. That doesn't mean our life's always peaceful. It doesn't mean things always go easy for us. That means we can have confident trust in Him through whatever is in front of us. In the very last book of the Bible, there's an interesting use of this word rest. The John, seeing a vision, he says, I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Why would somebody be blessed for dying for their faith? Well, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest for their labors, for their deeds follow them. Do you experience that? That's what rest in Christ looks like. That even when the threat of death is around us, we can still trust in Him. We can hope for tomorrow. Now, we don't always experience that every day. We have moments of stress and and anxiety, but those are moments that should direct us to trust more in Him. And if our main experience with Christ is an experience of, of restful trust, then that should give us pause. And it should convict us that we need to seek, to strive, to seek diligently to know Jesus better. Because after all, God's rest is something to strive for. It's not just something we experience, it's something to strive for. Remember earlier I talked about the idea of already and not yet. Well, we've looked at the already. Here is now the not yet. As verse 11 says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We're not fully in that rest yet. The full experience of that rest waits for when we're in heaven or when Christ returns here to earth. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians that we know that if this tent, that is our earthly home, if our body is destroyed, well, then we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, in the heavens. I like those uses of the word tent. Like this is just a temporary tent, but we're going to a house made by God. As Pastor Spurgeon said, Christian, the hot day of weariness lasts not forever. The sun is nearing the horizon. It shall rise again with a brighter day than you have ever seen upon a land where they serve God day and night and yet rest from their labors. Here, rest is but partial. There, it is perfect.
so what do we do now? We strive, we work diligently, we make every effort, we do our best to enter that eternal rest. We do not want to fall and perish as so many of those Israelites did in the wilderness. We need to persevere and not live in disobedience. If our life is continually rejecting what God has said, that's a sign that we do not know Him and that we need to persevere, strive to enter that rest. We talked about this last week in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It said, take care, brothers, lest there be in you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, if you claim to know God, then choose to follow Him, to obey Him. That's how you strive to enter his rest. Do it with diligent effort. If you claim to know God, then you're God's child. And maybe you've had the experience of going to someone's house where they have disobedient children or children that, that create a ruckus never do what mom and dad says. That's an unpleasant experience. If you're a God's child, don't do that to God. Obey what he says. Live for him. Our temptation will be, well, I'll just take the easy way out. I'll, I'll do what I want. I'll slip back into my old way of life. We need to fight that temptation. But also fight the temptation that thinks I can earn my way into God's favor. We rest, we trust in Christ's work on our behalf. This is this amazing tension here between already we have God's rest, a feeling of peace and trust in Christ, yet we're not yet there. It inspires us to strive eternity. If you're hearing me deliver this message here in this room online, then you are still alive. You are not there yet. You need to continue your journey to that eternal rest. One of the classic works of Christian literature is John Bunyan's book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And when I first heard about it, it really kind of changed my perspective on the Christian life. Christian life is not just accept Jesus, I make one decision, and then I'm good for the rest of my life. And then when I die, I get to go to heaven. No, no. The life Christ calls his people to is a journey out of sin towards heaven, a celestial city. True Christian faith is a journey. We progress, we strive, we head toward our future rest. As Paul was right in Philippians, he says, not that I've already obtained this, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, brothers and sisters, I don't think I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We work hard following Christ today, knowing that someday we will rest with Him. After the first point, I asked you a question. I asked, will you enter His rest? Let me ask it again. Friends, will you enter God's rest? If you are a believer in Christ, then I would tell you to strive with perseverance. Keep going until you get there. But if you have not started that journey, well, it begins with a relationship with Him. It begins with faith in Him. And this is a relationship you can have today. Our passage quotes many times today if you hear His voice. You can know Him. You can have faith in Him. 
God's rest is available to you. Please seek out that rest. Talk to someone about it. Because when you know that rest, you can praise him, the one who gives us a better rest, because he is so worthy of it.